This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. We revisit this Sunday the visions of St. John Bosco. And here he had a vision that I think you will find compelling for our time. In it, he has a vision of the red horse. The red horse is a reference to the red horse of the apocalypse, as in the apocalypse of St. John, or Revelation, as it gets called now. Protestants renamed that book, and for whatever reason, Catholic publishers decided to do the same thing. But it's classically called the Apocalypse of St. John. And the Red Horse of the Apocalypse features prominently in one of the chapters there. And usually, as you'll hear, comes to symbolize the persecution of the church. It's important for our time to hear this because, because it goes from there to an explanation of what Bosco always thought the persecution of the church meant what it would mean in those times. And it will sound spookily familiar to you. Perhaps he was wrong. I'll leave that for you to decide with some thoughts on that at the end. Let me know what you think of this in the comments, please. The Red Horse, a vision of St. John Bosco. Last night, I had a strange dream. With Marchioness Barolo, I seemed to be strolling about a small plaza which opened into a vast plain where the oratory boys were happily playing. As I respectfully attempted to move to her left, she stopped me, saying, No, stay where you are. She then began talking about my boys. It's wonderful that you look after boys, she said. Let me care for the girls. Leave that to me so that there'll be no disagreements. Well, I replied, didn't our Lord come into this world to redeem both boys and girls? Of course, she replied. Then I must see to it that his blood will not be uselessly shed for either group. As we were thus talking, an eerie silence suddenly fell over the boys. They stopped playing and, looking very frightened, fled helter-skelter. The marchioness and I stood still for a moment and then rushed to learn what had caused the scare. Suddenly at the far end of the plain I saw an enormous horse alight upon the ground. So huge was the animal that my blood ran cold. Was the horse as big as this room? Father Francesia asked. Oh, much bigger. It was truly a monstrous thing. Three or four times the size of Palazzo Madama. Marchioness Barolo fainted at the sight. I myself was so shaken up that I could barely stand. In my fright, I took shelter behind a nearby house, but the owners drove me off. Go away, they screamed. Go away. Meanwhile, I kept thinking, what can this horse be? I must stop running and try to get a closer look at it. Still quaking with fear, I pulled myself together and, retracing my steps, walked toward the beast. What a horror to see those ears in that frightful snout. At times it seemed to be carrying a load of riders. At other times it seemed to have wings. It must be a demon, I exclaimed. Others were with me. What kind of monster is this? I asked one of them. The red horse of the apocalypse, he replied. At this point, I awoke in a cold sweat and found myself in bed. Throughout the morning, as I said mass or heard confessions, that beast kept haunting me. Now I would like someone to check if a red horse is really mentioned in the scriptures and find out what it stands for. Celestine Durando was chosen to do the research. Father M. Roa, though, remarked that a red horse, symbol of, of a bloody persecution against the church, according to Martini, is indeed mentioned in the Apocalypse. Chapter 6, verse 3-4. to four. Quote, 
And when he opened the sacred seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And there went forth another horse, a red one. And to him who was sitting on it was given to take peace from the earth, and that men should slay one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The, the editor notes here that in Don Bosco's dream, the red horse symbolized contemporary European godless democracy, which at the time was fuming against the church, was steadily making headway to the detriment of the social order and gaining control over national and local governments, education, and the courts. That should sound familiar to us today. The goal of such systems is the complete destruction of the right of ownership of every religious society and charitable institution, which at that time had been started by trying to usurp your national governments. Don Bosco at the time was known to remark, To prevent this calamity, all the faithful, and we too in our small way, must zealously and courageously strive to halt this unbridled monster. A hard saying for our modern ears, isn't it? We are told that the highest ideal is democracy. I didn't choose this reading knowing that yesterday would be the coronation of the King of England. But it is an interesting timing nonetheless. But what does he mean? What does Don Bosco mean that the faithful must do everything they can to halt this unbridled monster, which is again godless democracy? What are we to do? According to him, by alerting the masses to the false teachings through the practice of charity and wholesome publications, and by turning their minds, meaning the minds of the people and the minds of the believers, and hearts to the chair of St. Peter, the unshakable foundation of all God-given authority, the master key of all social order, as he puts it. The church, the chair of St. Peter, and the pope are the one and the same thing, and that is why Don Bosco focused his life on an all-out effort to make the truth acceptable. Think about that, though, in our time. How much good has that done us? Look at the state of the church. And it's not just the current alleged pontiff but it's a whole string of them going back to the late 1950s that have, to one degree or another, surrendered on important issues of the day for the church to the secular world. How then does that help us? Don Bosco was dedicated to documenting the just unknown benefits brought by popes to civil society, the role of the church, and the sound teaching, the concrete teaching of the papacy. Easy enough in his time. He lived during the reign of Leo XIII and of Pius IX, two of the better popes of the 19th century. And even the worst of the 19th century popes were better than the best of our popes after the council. Rock-solid teaching from the papacy, completely orthodox. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? The state of the world the unraveling of society that we see, coinciding with wishy-washy pontiffs, or worse, complicit pontiffs, who will, on the one hand, get up and preach about the need for doing charitable works, which is true, but on the other hand, then regurgitate the talking points of our secular rulers at every given turn, at every opportunity. These days, it's about all things green, but it's been about other things before. It makes you wonder, is the state of the world we see today partially because the red horse of the apocalypse has been unleashed in the form of a, well, this there is a bloody persecution of the church happening in some quarters of the world, but really, is this at least in part because of the church surrendering 
going back to Paul VI laying the papal tiara aside in a very symbolic gesture, the most important symbolic gesture perhaps of the entire post-conciliar period, where the temporal authority of the Pope has been surrendered to the secular world. It's food for thought. The coming visions that I will cover for you will cover the mystery of iniquity and what John Bosco thought about that, what that actually meant. So stay tuned. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media. It helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.